This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, listeners, for spending another 30 minutes of your precious time with us as we talk about the political issues of the day. And today we're going to talk about the politics of infrastructure with CQ Roll Call reporter Jessica Wehrman, who's been keeping track of this. Hello, Jessica. Hi, how are you doing today? Thanks for having me. Not at all, not at all. So, uh, you know, you and I, we've been in government a long time, and infrastructure is a word we kind of throw around, and we all know what it means. But tell the listeners, what is infrastructure? Well, infrastructure, you know, what did the Supreme Court say? It's like porn. You sort of know it when you see it. It's really like, I mean, it's there's the stuff that you think of. There's the roads, bridges, and that sort of thing. But it's really sort of the built environment that makes our country what it is. Um, and actually, that's kind of changed a little bit. It used to be broadband, which was, you know, how you get on the Internet. has mm-hmm. was not really considered uh, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. That changed when we had a pandemic and a bunch of kids were, like, stuck at home learning uh off of the internet at home, suddenly broadband became kind of an important part of how we move goods and services, how we get around the country, how mm-hmm. we get to work or school or wherever it is we need to get. So I kind of, I kind of view that as infrastructure. Now the Biden administration had had a more expansive view uh, of what infrastructure was. They were thinking about human infrastructure when they started writing mm-hmm. this bill as well, which is things like preschool and things like mm-hmm. care for people who were sick and that sort of thing. Republicans sort of rejected that. And I think sort of they've landed somewhere in the middle, particularly for this bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is separate than that reconciliation, the big $3.5 trillion thing that they're going to discuss like next week. Right. So the $1 trillion, this is $1 trillion, which still is kind of blows your mind. I mean, yeah. you could probably put all I the mean, government it's, to it's South America. It's more than America. I make every year, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. Just a little. And, it's a little um, more than and, I make every year. <laughs> so what's interesting, so, though, they're they're writing the bill now. They hope to have it done by the end of the month. So that's reconciliation. The bipartisan bill is kind of written. The Senate passed it. Now it goes to the House by September 27th. And so reconciliation is part two of this extravagant plan. Plan. And uh, that comes, you know, that that comes sort of when Congress returns later in September. So, yeah. Right. You wrote something that was interesting. You said it spends a little on a lot, but not a lot on much. Tell us what you meant by that. So the thing about this is our needs are so vast. Like if you think back to, oh God, President Clinton, maybe even, well, I don't know. Let's not go that far. Let's go Let's go to President Obama. He wanted to do a giant infrastructure uh, measure when he was president, as like an economic stimulus thing. It turned out that was not really a huge thing. President Trump obviously talked about this as well. This was, I mean, this has been something presidents have wanted to do for some time, but the needs are really, really vast. I mean, as I was reporting on this, like I talked to people who there were wastewater, their wastewater systems dated to like the 1800s. So it's safe to say you may want to upgrade after, you know, you have 1800 <laughs> level water systems. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah. So the thing is, if you want to do something like have high speed, a network of high speed rail, like they do in Europe, you're going to have to spend a lot more than what, 66 billion that I think that they mm-hmm. put in this bill for Amtrak. Mm-hmm. So you can mm-hmm. do some of these things, but you're really not, 
I mean, you're doing a little bit of everything. You're not doing the big, big transformative thing, but you're you are dumping a lot of money. So you are succeeding in dumping a lot of money to into infrastructure. There's also like a lot of fundamental debates over where transportation goes in this country. I mean, do we want to rely, you know, we have a climate change issue. I feel like I can say that and not be subjective. Um, do we want to rely on more things like transit or high speed rail rather than highways and moving people in, mm -hmm. in cars? Do, you know, do we want to invest in electric vehicles? So, I mean, so this bill doesn't do anything to really transform the way we move goods, services, and people around this country necessarily, but it does spend a lot of money on it. It just doesn't spend a lot on any one thing. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> well, we're, we're not going to solve anything in this thing. Yeah, we're not going to solve any problem in this thing. And it's kind of interesting with these. No, we're not <laughs> curing climate change in this deal. <laughs> So it's kind of interesting because, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he had the Public Works Administration, which came in in 1933 and, you know, basically helped the, the, the country get out of unemployment and, and really, um, you know, increase the purchasing power, which we went into the war with. It seems presidents are trying to take a page from that book. Is it, Do you see this as the same way with Biden? Yeah, and I've heard comparisons to that. I'm a little bit skeptical of that comparison. And the reason I am is is during the depression, I mean, it was the great depression. It was like the economy was horrible across the board. We had a pandemic that did hurt our economy, but we bounced back relatively quickly, though you could talk about inflation. I mean, you could sort of talk around the edges. Uh, there, I think an FDR comparison is a little sweeping. I mean, what we're really doing is basically trying to make, huh, trying to make America great, trying to make America um, sort of stand out and more competitive in compared to other countries, such as, so mm -hmm. what we're doing now is really making ourselves more economically competitive with say China uh, or, or other countries. And, you know, we will, we would create jobs with this. I mean, that is sort of kind of understood. Um, but I don't know that it's necessarily the sweeping FDR, you know, let's all hands on deck kind of thing. Let's all, you know, let's all, build a TBA or what have you. Yeah. And one of the things too, and it, it yeah, yeah. You were mentioning that it checks a lot of boxes with the interest groups and how much of this is politics and yeah. how much of this uh, political pandering and how much of this is meaningful uh, investment in the country. I think with any piece of bipartisan legislation, I mean, I covered no child left behind, which is that big education bill under George W. Bush. Anytime you see a big bipartisan bill, you know that there's been significant pandering because um, otherwise things don't get passed <laughs> because they have to That's be passed right. by lawmakers yeah. and lawmakers right. have their groups and their constituencies that they have to serve. Uh, it, it's just sort of how it's done. And that's not, you know, I mean, you could sort of have criticism about it, but it sort of means everybody's got a, got a stake in the matter. Um, mm -hmm. It didn't mm -hmm. do completely what some groups wanted to do, for example, with climate change or with transit. Um, right. But it does sort of give a nod to, a lot of items on a lot of people's lists, if that makes sense. And and it, it's kind of interesting because, you know, Biden wanted $20 billion for what he calls America jobs plan. That was going to re reconnect poor neighborhoods, kind of get them into the, um, be they're, they've been traditionally boxed out of federal investment and he only got a billion there. And, and is that part of that uh, negotiation, that uh, cattle negotiation? Yeah. So that's an interesting program, actually. It's basically this program that you're referring to is kind of, they call it, I guess, reconnecting communities. It's it's, it's sort of a racial equity, um, a racial mm -hmm. equity program. And I, to be honest, you know, up until a year or two, it, I was sort of conceptually aware of it, but it's really 
it's really becoming clearer now. So in some cities across the country, and you'll see kind of these neighborhoods in a lot of cities, uh, there's entire neighborhoods that are just really basically walled off from the rest of their city. Uh, there, Anthony Fox, who used to be the secretary of transportation, describes how he couldn't order a pizza in his urban mm. neighborhood in North Carolina when mm. he was growing up mm. because there was a bridge that was sort of separating it. I talked to another mm. woman in sort of suburban New York, one of the city suburbs, who said, you know, it's quicker to get to midtown Manhattan from her neighborhood than it is to the hospital or the grocery store wow. because they've got wow. infrastructure that sort of separates it. It's a really, it's a fascinating issue. And um, what this would, this seeks to do, this is a new program. What it seeks to do is basically take that infrastructure and either tear it down or find a way to make it connect the community in often cases, a socioeconomically disadvantaged community with the rest of the city. And and it makes sense from an economic standpoint, because you're also, you're not only hooking people up with the rest of your cities, you're hooking them up with jobs, education, access to goods and services, that sort of thing. Um, so the argument is that it's sort of a economy builder for traditionally disadvantaged neighborhoods. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty fascinating program. And and why didn't he get the money that he requested for that one? Um I, I think there might be some skepticism in uh, among uh, Republican groups. It was uh, he called for a lot of money in that. Uh he got a 1 billion which basically is sort of a pittance doesn't do the big transformative things he wants to do. However, uh just like 20 minutes before we started talking, the House Democrats released a bill and it includes $4 billion for mm -hmm. such a program. So that would add on to the $1 billion. So it's not quite the huge and extraordinary investment that Biden originally envisioned, but it's something. Yeah, and that's four times of what, you know, what it was. And uh, it's kind of interesting you mentioned about, you know, reconnecting the neighborhoods. The thing was across the tracks, right? I mean, the black community was on this side and then across the tracks yeah. was the white community. Literally yes, across the tracks, uh, yeah. That's kind of... Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. Transportation is such an, uh, like, it's kind of a racial, I mean, Rosa Parks was riding wow. on the bus. Like, this is, it, it really is, transportation is really linked with sort of the history of, you know, uh, racism and systemic racism in this country. That's what, you know, the, the Biden administration would argue, at least. And you, and you can make a valid argument when you look at some of these neighborhoods where they are literally cut off from the rest of their cities. So, well, well, that's a fascinating. That's really fascinating because you don't think of that, right? You're thinking of infrastructure, roads and bridges, and but it's about people. It's about people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a you know this money goes towards um, people. And you talked about Amtrak, and that's an interesting one because Biden was kind of interesting when he was a senator, and I was covering him there. Uh, he's took the Amtrak train every night to Delaware where he lived because he wanted to be with his kids, and uh, he'd get on the train. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Yeah. Joe, exactly. <laughs> and he would get on the car and they wouldn't say senator they would just say hey joe what's going on and he had his people that he sat with and things like that so i think he probably has a really good appreciation for amtrak but uh 66 billion he wanted 88 billion um and again you, you talked about the high-speed rail in europe and it's just such a uh it's it, it carries everybody everywhere and it's easy to get around anybody ever talked to go over there say yeah i just jumped on the train went to germany uh we're not even close to that and uh is this money um, yeah i mean I is this money a real investment I, it seems to me that amtrak's always been kind of like hey let's give them money try to keep them going and i don't is is there a, 
is it a good investment? Is it going to be, again, meaningful? Well, I mean, you could sort of make the argument if you build it, they can come. If you have access to Amtrak in your community and it's affordable and that sort of thing, then you might take the train. But you, what you do see actually emerging here is and this isn't in the bill, but this is sort of elsewhere, you see places like Brightline, there are railroads, private railroads across the country are sort of experimenting with this high speed space. In Florida, uh, I think there's one in Nevada, Texas is not going well, California's is not going well, but there is some there is some playing around in the space. And so I guess the 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 thing that's envisioned with Amtrak with is is building out the services first of all the northeast corridor which is actually the one more profitable area uh-huh. of amtrak you've got uh-huh. like long distance and you've got the northeast corridor i mean it's kind of crumbling it's it's falling apart it really needs some work there's this tunnel under the hudson river that is like was wrecked by superstorm sandy and it is super old and it needs to be fixed so a lot of this is just capital improvement and getting things up to stuff now they'd also like to add service under the premise that if you have more availability to take the train you're going to do it and for some of these in in these smaller communities, communities that aren't necessarily served by airports, Amtrak is kind of a lifeline to get to places without using a car. Uh, there are cities where you can't, you don't have an airport, and uh, like Meridian, Mississippi, for example, where Amtrak is the best alternative. And it's very interesting because um, you know it, 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 when it works, it, it's wonderful. I mean, I remember uh, coming down to Florida and taking the auto train, which was a blast. I mean, you just sat up there; oh, yeah. it was like a half glass car, and you walk through, you rode through the, the thing. You but got the dining car. Yes, exactly. We all got there. Yeah, we, we watched movies with all kinds of great people, and it was it was really a, a great experience. And I think people who've gone across the country on the train say the same thing. But you hit on an interesting point, uh, and that is: should we allow private railroads, as in the old days, take over this um, take over this responsibility, or maybe more so than Amtrak is doing, instead of throwing this money at them? Well, I think. I mean, I. I don't have the answer to that. And that's, you know, kind of above my pay grade to decide. I mean, there's viable alternatives both ways. It would be, I mean, it is interesting to see some of these, these rail, uh, these private railways sort of move, but Amtrak has been kind of was, was created in the seventies because passenger rail was kind of dying out in this country. And there, it definitely, one of the reasons it has stayed alive is it has really strong um, support in Congress, both among Republicans and Democrats, mm-hmm. who see it as something that this country needs to, and the alternative, which would be not having a passenger rail at all, is really something that they can't really abide. Right. So that's sort of, Amtrak has its congressional constituencies, and this is definitely a case where they are where they're protecting them. Yeah, yeah. And you were talking about, too, and it, it's just kind of the battle always um, over, you know, do we put money in roads? Do we put it in trains? Do we put it in planes? Yeah. Um, and there was criticism, you know, we're, we're focusing on pedestrians, we're focusing on transit riders. Meanwhile, uh, Americans are stuck for hours a day in traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What's what's in there for the highways? So, I uh, the highways, um, they, they do build more. This this road, it's funny because I'm ta- I was just looking at the reconciliation bill, so I'm making sure I'm trying to make sure I don't conflate the two. Um, the first bill, the bipartisan bill, does include money for highways, and uh, and that actually kind of irritated some folks. For example, in the House, they had written a bill that really relied on fixing it first before building new roads, saying, you know what, let's fix the actual highways that we have before we build new stuff. This bill does not include that. It does include I. Want to say about a hundred billion, but don't quote me on that. 
for highways as well, because part of this bill is a highway reauthorization bill. Um, and, and the argument is, you know, we do have crumbling highways, roads, particularly bridges. Bridges oh, are yeah. real problematic. So that's one of the focuses. Yeah, I mean, bill. we yeah. it, try, it does try we've, to do a lot of things as bridges and transit and rail. Yeah. You, it, and, you yeah. know, we've had bridges collapse. I mean, Minnesota and it was a little while ago, but we, we've had that. Talk about the Highway Trust Fund. That's always, again, almost like have track one that just keeps getting discussed. <laughs> over over. Tell, tell us how that works and, and what the what the concerns are with that. So I feel like I need like a macro for my computer where I can just cut and paste all sort of like for all these, because it's such a, it's such a funny issue and it right, just like never right, goes right. away. Like, I think, you know, um, you, you and I have actually covered in the past, uh, an interstate in Indiana where I was like, I just felt like I just was sort of the perennial thing that I could just sort of, you know, in my sleep, I could conduct. Okay. So highway trust fund is when you, we pay for we are supposed to <laughs> pay for our highways through the federal gas tax, which, you know, is like a quarter to the gallon, that sort of thing, That and a little bit more for diesel. And you pay every time you go and get gas. That's theoretically been the way we have spent, we have paid for our highway system, which was great for a while. But then a couple things happened. First of all, in the 80s, they started using some of that money for transit, because transit really doesn't necessarily always pay for itself and it has mm -hmm. huge capital costs. Fine. And then cars got more um, efficient, more gas efficient. So that kind of made people pay yeah. buy less gas. So that was a problem. Um, also, that gas tax has not been raised since 1993, yeah. which I don't know how well, old you yeah. are, Jerry, but that was the year I graduated yeah, I from think high school. I was, uh, five, so, five then, yeah, yeah, so this gas tax <laughs> is not. <laughs> Five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Liar. Don't. <laughs> anyway. So yeah. So this. So this gas tax is. I mean, it's just not. It's kind of. It does not have the buying power that it used to. I am putting that very diplomatically. Uh, so what we have had to do is just basically loot through the federal treasury uh, for years since uh, it's been a couple. I'm trying to, uh, I can't do it. I'm trying to know off the top of my head, but we've been basically raiding the federal treasury. So we have the gas tax that sort of pays for the highways, but doesn't really. And then every once in a while, we just come to the, you know, the taxpayer and they just sort of generally, uh, generally bail us out. So yeah, why hasn't that gone up? I mean, why hasn't the, the gas tax gone up? We're coming, on, we're coming up on 30 years now. <sighs> Nobody really wants to raise taxes. It's funny because the states also have gas taxes, but and states have been able to raise their gas taxes. Like 21 states mm -hmm. have raised their gas tax, including very Republican states. But members of Congress are like pathologically terrified of raising gases because they're afraid that they'll lose their jobs. Yeah. And, you know, then have yeah. to do something else for a living, I suppose. So they don't want to ever raise a gas tax. And um, for a while, it was mostly just Republicans were like, no, we're not raising the gas tax. But Biden has also said, we're not raising the gas tax on people who make less than $400,000. Well, there's a lot of Americans who drive who make less than $400,000. <laughs> so that's just been unsustainable. So they got to find a new way to pay for this. And, and everyone sort of likes the idea of the users paying for the roads, right? But they don't really like the idea of actually asking people for money. Um, so they've played with different pilot programs. There's one on vehicle miles traveled that some states are using where basically they would bill you on the miles that you travel mm -hmm. in your vehicle. Um, the other thing I left out is that like people are theoretically going to electrical um, mm -hmm. cars mm -hmm. soon, right? Hybrids, electric mm -hmm. vehicles. Well, they don't go to the gas right. pumps, so they're not going to yes. pay anything. So you're getting yes. all scot-free if you yes. buy that Tesla. Yes. Yes. 
So that's another reason to buy the Tesla. So yeah, it, it is kind of interesting. <laughs> you say you know you, people want to you know they want to pay for the roads and you know we have these cameras now. So when you go through a toll booth, you know it just takes a picture and then it sends you a bill. And that's a little little mm-hmm. kind of a racket because if you're late and you know sometimes you just put the envelope, then you get another ten dollar bill. But you know I think as you're going in Florida, particularly down here, we got tolls everywhere. And when you stop at that toll. Um, that's just, uh, you know, I can remember going through Berlin and, you know, Martin O'Malley yeah. was, uh, you know, I knew him very well. And he, he had doubled the tolls from, I think, four to eight. And every time I wrote there, damn, Martin, you know, it's just, uh, but, uh, and, and that's right. <laughs> well, I don't know, you know if it's even stuff. like that. Like, I, there's different ways of doing it. They haven't figured out exactly. I mean, they're different states sort of do it in different ways. I can't even remember sort of the mechanisms, but it doesn't necessarily involve going through a toll. It's, you know, it's like. There's, you could do registration fees as well. There's something where you would report. I, you know, I, they, there's devices that I guess you could attach to new vehicles that would track it. I, and there's just a lot of ways they've played with it. But the bottom line is, no one's found a, yeah, a better way than yeah, the gas tax yeah. to pay for it, and nobody's willing to pay and, for the gas tax. Yeah. So I guess you know we're on the exactly. hook until they, they have do. to find another way. So you were talking about Amtrak and, and bridges crumbling and the Amtrak being an update, but the, the, there's a lot of money in here. Seventy three billion for the electric power grid, which uh, rides over the country. Um, And it's really become an issue, um, basically. It was a great book in 2016 called The Grid by Gretchen Bakke, B-A-K-K. And she studied the grid all the way back to the beginning when uh, Westinghouse created the first several blocks. And and Edison was in there, too, trying to to do this. But um, basically, the power companies have let this thing fall apart. You know, they saved money on maintenance, and now it's in crisis yeah. so we had the we had the uh, situation in texas back in february where the ice storms uh, basically shut down the state the electric power in the state and now we just had louisiana um i guess about two weeks ago where hurricane hurricane ida wiped out a lot of the thing is is uh is this enough money for the grid or is it just kind of scotch taping it well so you actually talk about a greater issue because what was what was the common thread in both of those incidents the texas and the louisiana extreme weather events so i mean basically the issue is really You could say it's the issue of what the the grid needs, but really what we have to do is prepare for do something called uh, funding resilience, which is making this infrastructure resilient to extreme weather events, because those are the things that are taking these things down. That ice storm in Texas was a a fluke, right? Like they just weren't prepared for that sort of thing. Louisiana was probably prepared for Ida. They always get hurricanes, but we can just expect more and more of those as the climate heats up. So one of the things that this funding, so we we talk about the $66 billion for the grid, and I, I don't know, the, the short answer is I don't know if that funds enough, if that pays for everything they need. But the longer term answer is you should just kind of keep an eye on um, when you see the term resilience. And actually, that's kind of the, I, I've joked and written stories that that's sort of the safe word for Republicans on climate change is is resilience because they don't like to really talk about climate change, but they're happy to talk about resilient infrastructure because you want infrastructure. You don't want a bridge that can wash out in a storm. You don't want to be in a building that's going to fall down with an earthquake. I mean, you want to build the infrastructure so it lasts because otherwise it's kind of a waste of your money. And the grid speaks to that too. I mean, there you're, you, you do see people talking about underground um, transmission lines because it's a heck of a lot easier to protect your 
energy supply when it's not going to get knocked down by high force winds and that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, poor Louisiana, they just should put a big catcher's mask on that, on that state because they catch them all, you know? <laughs> yeah. They keep getting clobbered, but their levees yes, held this time, yes, which was federal yes, investment yes, that worked. Yes, so yes, you got that yes, going yes. for it. So. It'll be interesting too, in terms of the grid, you know, we're, we're starting to put, um, you know, more solar on and the microgrids and, and all that kind of stuff. So we're yeah. talking about electric, uh, Biden did a big press event where he was in an electric car and, you know, he driving it. But there's not a lot of money in here for that. How come? Um, that was another thing where I think Republicans in the bipartisan bill were very resistant. That, Like Biden originally suggested it was like $124 billion. Again, whenever I. OK, so the blanket message to your listeners is when I whenever I quote a number, I'm, not, I'm just kind of talking off the top of my head. So it could be a little bit off, but I know it was more than $100 billion in terms of. Uh, what he had ex- originally envisioned for electric vehicles, but he was also talking about a huge, not just charging infrastructure, but incentives to manufacturers to build them, to sell them, because really only 2% of the country right now buys a, buys electric vehicles and uses them. What he envisions is actually going, you know, like, let's get out of the gas powered car business. And that's what he envisioned. But Republicans were kind of reluctant, you know, for one thing, you know, is giving manufacturers money to build EVs or incentivize the supply chain to turn to EVs. I mean, is that infrastructure? It did not necessarily strike them as such. Mm-hmm. So in the end, what they got was like $7.5 billion for uh, electric vehicle charging mm-hmm. infrastructure. Because one of the reasons people don't buy EVs is because, you know, you get stuck out in the middle of nowhere and you can't charge a darn thing and then well that doesn't really help you yeah and um talking about transportation uh pete Buttigieg is the uh, transportation secretary and he ran for president and (laughs) uh is this helping him this yes he is uh and uh is this infrastructure bill kind of giving him some uh, prominence So it was interesting because at first what he was doing is he was like at the deal making table in the very early iterations of this, like you would see him coming in to, to make, you know, to have the meetings with people. Usually it was in Zoom at that point because pandemic was kind of hardcore. Uh, um, but he was doing a lot of the negotiating up front. Then he sort of took more of a backseat rule and it was just like these three people from the White House who were coming in to talk to the Senate bipartisan group that did strike the deal. Uh, but Buttigieg was, has been sort of calling people, he's very, very visible, and he's been visible among, with the senators in the background as well, you know, sort of ta- talking to them and calling them and not necessarily being the guy who shows up at, on Capitol Hill. But, you know, he's very active in the media. He's like, he's, I mean, and he does all kind. he does media that past transportation secretaries have not done, like, He's like a late night talk show kind of guy, or I can't let me see, was it BuzzFeed? It was BuzzFeed or Vox or something. Um, you know, he does like all this media that I don't think that his predecessors, like, I just, I don't know that you would have seen mm-hmm. Elaine Chow, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, get yes, exactly. right? Um, so he's visible and he is actually kind of a, he's kind of a superstar in terms of like, he had some star power coming into the sure, administration. Sure. People knew who he was. Yep. I went with him on a train to New Jersey, mm-hmm. to your homeland, yes, Jerry. I went right. to your homeland with him um, to, yeah. And he got, when he went off, there was like kids holding signs and somebody mm-hmm. wanted him to sign their AP US history book. Wow. And like, I, again, 
not to disparage Elaine Chow, but I just don't know that she would have gotten that treatment or Ray LaHood, who was also a very nice person. But well, yeah, yeah he's, <laughs> he's actually interesting. He's got a, he's got a, well, LaHood was, he was out there a little bit, but not as much as it, but uh, Buttigieg has got a little Kennedy in him. He's got that, you know, he's got that young dynamic, you know, thing going on. And uh, yeah, I, I see this really helping his um, brand or his profile yeah. as he, as he, you know, keeps going. Cause he's, he's going to be a, a force there. Well, it certainly doesn't. It, yes, it doesn't yeah, hurt it. Exactly. Yeah. So the other thing. We, and they can now, and he can say now that he just hasn't exactly been just the right. he's, yeah. he's run a gigantic government department and he's going to learn a lot. He's going to learn a lot because he's, he probably is learning about, you know, yeah. which senator you push, which ones he don't. And, you know, sometimes that's a, that's a hard lesson. Uh, the other thing was uh, that Mothers Against Drunk Driving were looking to get um, some money to put in devices that would keep people from driving drunk. That um, didn't. I guess I guess there's some money in there. Is that right? And it's just not as much as they would want. Is that correct? There, there is. So when when you see policy stuff in this bill, just you should keep in mind that this is actually kind of a bill that was written before by one of the committees. Like they started the process of doing the highway reauthorization. And one of the things that got kind of swept into it was this bill. There actually is, interestingly enough, in a lot of these new cars, there's technology that could prevent drunk driving. I'm not talking about like it doesn't. You don't have to like breathe in something to drive. It's even it's very simple. Some of it's simple as like detection if you're steering off the road you know if you if they're looking at you and your eyes are not on the if you're distracted tech it's not it's actually not very expensive um and automobile manufacturers have the capacity to install a lot of this technology right now but what they're doing is they're sort of selling it as an add-on so if i buy like a crappy little yeah. new car they're not going to include that but if i buy like sort of a more if i add the add-ons you know um i get my sunroof i get my driver distraction but what Mad was arguing was you should install it mm -hmm. from the start. This is should be this is a safety thing. This helps right. everybody. So install it from the start. So that's in mm -hmm. the Senate bill. And uh, I need to say also bef before we get off that the House is going to vote on that by September mm -hmm. like twenty seventh. So this bill will be probably heading right. to the White House quickly. quickly. Yeah, I know the Democrats want to get it done because the midterms mm -hmm. are covered, and that's not going to look good. And I think you hit on the, exactly the point. And and anytime you want changes in the car, whether it's airbags, I mean, it's it's up to the to the, to the automobile manufacturers, and of course they're always going to want to save money. And then you know that 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 uh, um, that kind of um, that that that's always kind of the big question. And wanted to talk to you a little bit of because you were talking about what goes in a bill and stuff. But, you know, there's always the nonsense in the bill. And I know this is important for the people. Two million for bees, 50 million or yeah, 50 million to fight weeds. Uh, there's a great funding study um, to study the different body types and crash test dummies. And, you know, crash test dummies don't. Well, I kind of like that. Yeah, well, they don't. They, kid well, with I a, don't yeah, understand. Like, they don't vote. So I don't know. What to, that's legit, right? <laughs> But uh, why is that stuff in there? We Every single bill comes along. Big bill has that stuff in there. Well, I mean, that's a constituency issue. There's always somebody who adds these sort of things in because they sort of got talked to by constituents. And sometimes, and they're not necessarily like high-powered lobbyists. Sometimes it, it can be somebody else who talks about, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily would count Matt as sort of a high-powered lobbyist, but they very effectively sort of got their provision in there. Um, and, and they're, I mean, every bill comes with it you know, a thousand different priorities and little things. And, you know, if you sit through one of these markups, uh, first of all, sometimes they last for days. Um, 
and there's like hundreds of amendments and that sort of thing. But, you know, there's these little things that sort of bother people. I mean, one of the, the issues that really is firing up truckers, for example, and you wouldn't think about it until you, until you think about it, it's like mm. parking. They have a real problem, a real shortage in parking. Now, to you and I, who are not truckers, we'd go, well, what? <laughs> <laughs> but to them, it's a very Maybe legitimate need because if you're driving yes. across the country, you got to stop. I mean, you have rest yep. requirements and you mm-hmm. have to sleep. So, I mean, it's funny because so one person's kind of quirky provision often becomes somebody else's like, this is right. a serious need. I mean, they they when they right. talk about that, they come at it with a very legitimate mm-hmm. grievance, which is you're making a stop, but we've got That's nowhere to stop. Quirky. So, I mean, I don't know about the pollinators. I'm sure there's a constituency uh, yeah. with that. But yeah. the crash tra- test um, dummies. <laughs> well, you know, I mean. Like, well, they did. They did have a band, yeah, didn't they? I've got a seventeen-year-old yeah. kid, and let me just say, <laughs> did the crash test dummies? They had their own yeah, band. Yeah, that was a so horrible was... song. Don't don't get that in my head. <laughs> yeah. That was not. That guy had a really low voice. It was kind of creepy. <laughs> it's yeah. great. <laughs> I, I can start singing. Well, how did you do? Are here. you still doing that, everybody? So, yes, I am in a mediocre That's cover band. Yes, in my good, spare time, good. we had Carl Hose on. <laughs> I think. No. Don't tell the rest. I'm mediocre. Yeah, the rest of my great. We had Carl Holtz on last <laughs> weekend. We were talking about Charlie Watts' death because Carl is a drummer, and you know, in, in the uh, in a, in a band. So, hey, I want to thank you for coming on. I know you're under the gun, and uh, you're in the middle of this. And I'm very, uh, oh, I'm very comfortable it. that you're keeping an eye on this. So, you know, I'm I'm good with that. And you and I started. You mentioned uh, many years ago, twenty, I guess now, uh, with Scripps Howard. You were an intern for the summer when I met you. And now look at you going to big. I was, and I, I wound up coming back to take. You moved on, and yes, I took your job. I don't right. know if you left. Went to, to the Baltimore Sun. Did you stay? Yep, yep, yeah. And, uh, so we covered was, Evansville. So yeah. I was your your. Um, yep. We had we. we yeah. I had to fill your giant <laughs> shoes. It was we, we covered Evansville, which was right on the border of uh, Indiana and Kentucky, which we called Indy Yucky. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was really, uh, <laughs> that was really, uh, really great. Well, I, I thank you for covering all that. I'm, I'm so proud of uh, the reporter you've become and all the work you've done over the years. And plus, you're just a great mom and a good person. So we'll have you back on after uh, you cut this bill down and make it a little more, uh, you know, make it a little more reasonable. <laughs> all right. <laughs> thanks, good. Jessica. <laughs> oh boy <laughs> alright appreciate it thank you bye bye and we'll be back next week with another thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast want to thank our executive producer Mike Guga our technical producer Brad maybe the Wizard of Pods and of course our announcer Dave and our contributing voice talent John the One Take Turns the voiceover Tampa Bay and until next week always remember read beyond the headlines have a great week with the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career, covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, the Front Row is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.